0: Always great to be here. Cor and I are always excited to, to be part of, uh, of the worship service here because, uh, first of all, Jesus plays the central role here. And, uh, and the messages that you hear are, are so, so wonderfully faith and grace-based. You know, I thought about it this morning. Um, when you eat a cheesecake... Cheese is the main ingredient of it. But you can eat something with cheese sprinkled on it. And in this church, it's not just faith or grace sprinkled. It's faith and grace based. And that is, that's the beauty of it. And uh, so thank you again for the invitation and the opportunity to minister the word of God here. I know you've been following a series on Revelation. You're going to continue with that, obviously, after this Sunday. So uh, I've decided to, to sp- call my sermon Relief from Revelation. Hmm. <laughs> no, not really. Um, I've been so blessed. Uh, Adrian, I listened to some of your sermons, uh, and, and I want to encourage you. And, and Colin, you will remember, when we grew up, we were scared of Revelation because whenever we had a series on Revelation, my goodness, they scared you into heaven. And, and it was so beautiful, so fresh to hear because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of destruction or fear or whatever. It's about Jesus. And, 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 and that was the beauty of it. So um, I do want to encourage you to, to follow the series and uh, to listen to it. Now, um, in 2006, a best-selling self-help book, took the world by storm. And the title of this book is The Secret. And the book is about some made-up ancient secret called the law of attraction. And apparently this law has always existed in the universe, and it's supposed to be some magnetic power that is released through your thoughts. So, what happens is your mind allegedly becomes some kind of a transmission tower uh, that transmits frequencies to the universe and then attracts or receives similar frequencies back in some physical form. And in the book it's said that great people in history discovered this so-called secret and they then utilized that uh, revelation of the secret to attract success, to bring them success. Now the truth is, this book did bring success for the author. Uh, it sold uh, about 30 million copies, it was translated in about 50 languages. Uh, but it's amazing how people sometimes look for some super secret to success. And, and I am going to, to share with you, I'm going to tell you a secret this morning and I'm going to share with you that God has a secret plan for your life. And, and honestly, when I thought about the title of the sermon, I want to call it in line with the secret, I want to call it the mystery. But I decided not to call it the mystery, I want to call it the mystery revealed because it's no longer a mystery. Because God is a revealer, God is not someone who plays hide and seek with us. I, I had another title that I seriously considered. I wanted to call it Apocalypse Now. And, and just to help you here, the word apocalypse, uh, quite often in our time as the movie, you will know about the movie, is about destruction and the end of the earth, etc. But the word apocalypse doesn't mean that. It actually means uncovering. That's, that's what the book Revelation is about. It is an uncovering. Of God's mystery. And so it's not something to be fearful about. So I'm going to uh, give you a bit of relief from the book of Revelation. I'm going to use the book of Ephesians. Because I'm going to show you that God speaks about a mystery that has been revealed. And it's important for us to discover what I would like to call the main mystery. The chief secret that God has for us. So I'm going to to help us by taking you on a journey through a few statements. And here's the first statement that I want to make, and it is that God has a secret plan. You see, God is so different to us because we sometimes get up in the morning and we allow circumstances to dictate our day. But God is a God of order. He's a God with a plan. (laughs) God doesn't do anything haphazardly. God, and I'm so glad you often mentioned uh, this morning that, that He's a God of meaning and purpose. And you can only find your purpose in life if you, if you link up to God's plan, with God's plan. So, so God's plan obviously involves the whole universe. He has a destiny, He has a design for His whole creation, but also for you as an individual. And you don't have to be a clone of someone else. I'm sure most of you have seen Shrek. And in Shrek, there's one character, and I, he doesn't even have a name. I'll call him Gingy because he's the gingerbread man. Now, if you've ever seen gingerbread cakes, they all come out the same way out of the oven. They all look exactly the same. And the wonderful thing is that God didn't make you as a gingerbread man. You are so unique. And God has a unique plan and a purpose for your life. So the question this morning is, what is the general purpose? What is the major purpose uh, here on earth for us? And I think it's a good question to ask in life. And, and I remember Cora once uh, gave me something that she read and it said, says this, To know God's will is life's greatest treasure. To do God's will is life's greatest pleasure. And if we can know and do the will of God, it will totally change our lives. And here's where we need to start. And as I'm going to read the scriptures to you, I want you to make a mental note of this. See how often it will speak about in Christ. When God reveals his mystery, he mentions Jesus. Because everything revolves around Christ. God reveals everything in Christ. Uh, Because that's his master plan. It revolves around Christ. Now, this plan was made before the world was made, but God didn't reveal it. One thing we can learn from God, he knows how to keep a secret. And he kept it for so long. Because before the world was even made, this was in God's heart. And here's what Ephesians 1 and verse 9 says. It says, having made known to us the mystery of his will. So it's no longer a mystery, it's something that has been made known. And we can actually understand it if we start with Jesus. Now, here's another uh, scripture that shows us how God progressively uh, reveals his secret plan. In Romans 16, Uh, Reading from verse 25, it says this, To Him, to God, who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now, here's what he says. There was a secret, there was a mystery, but God revealed it how? Through the prophetic scriptures. And here's the amazing thing. Even those Old Testament prophets who prophesied about all these wonderful things, they didn't understand everything. But we are living in an era where we can look back and we, we can see the fulfillment of prophecy in Christ and where we can find out what God's purpose and God's plan is. So um, let, me, let me move on because uh, I have so much to share and, and so little time. So God has a secret plan. The second statement that I want to make is that God has a corporate purpose for us. Because God didn't create us in isolation. Although I'm going to get to you as an individual, I'm going to show you that your destiny is intertwined with other people. God has woven your destiny together with other people. And we need to recognise that because we if we cannot see that, then then we're missing the whole thing. So here's the corporate purpose. And, and and I want to go to chapter three of Ephesians and show you something interesting here. And I'm using the New King James Version. It says, By revelation, God made known to me, that's Paul speaking, the mystery. He says, as I have briefly written already, that we already read in, in chapter 1. He says, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Let me stop there for a moment and just say this. It's so important to realize you will not be able to understand God's mystery unless you read the Bible. He says it's through the prophetic scriptures. I know a lot of people, uh, and, and they say to me, You know what? I don't understand the Bible. It's a closed book. It's because you never open it. <laughs> and the wonderful thing is this the Bible is the only book where the author is present at every reading, and he'll help you to understand. If you just trust Him. But you need to read. Let me continue. Uh, in, in, in verse 5, He speaks about this mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. Now, in, in, in the translation that I'm using, I'm just wanting to check if it's, if it's the same here. Yeah, there it is. Can you see... Just uh, after the word prophets, there's a punctuation mark. It's not there in the original, but the translators, the publishers of this particular version of the Bible helped us because there is a colon which indicates here follows the explanation of the mystery. And so here's how easy it is. In verse 6, here's the mystery. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel how simple is that you would think it's something so complicated but God says the mystery is this I'm going to create a body that's my ultimate purpose and I'm going to show you that body as the church. And he says both Jews and Gentiles are part of, of, of that body. And, and in the Greek it's so beautiful because when it says fellow heirs, it speaks about joint heirs. When it says the same body, it's a joint body. Partakers, joint partners. He uses this, the same kind of alliteration to, to bring across the, the message that God in his great wisdom planned for this meeting this morning. Because you're part of the church. And here's what I want to say to you. If you want to enjoy God's favor, become part of the church. Because right now, His favor rests solidly on the church. I want to say that. And, and don't think I'm, I'm anti-Semitic here. I'm, I'm absolutely pro-Israel. In fact, I'm pro-any nation. Because God loves all nations. But here's what I want to say is that Israel does not have privileges right now. They are not enjoying extra favor. God's favor rests on the church. And even Jews, if they want God's favor, they need to be in Christ. So God's plan was that Jews and Gentiles should join together in in, in one body. So what or who is this body? Well, let's go back to chapter 1. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 22, it says that He, that's God the Father, put all things under His feet, that's Jesus, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now because I'm a teacher, I love to give homework. Go and read through the book of Ephesians and you'll find the word body is used nine times. So God is emphasizing the fact that we are like a physical body, we are a spiritual body and and um, in, in Ephesians 5 and verse 30 for in, instance it says, we are members of His body, of His flesh and of His bones. So it's important to realize, here was God's, and I'm saying this with the, Um, In in, in human terms, here was God's thinking. God wanted us to be in Christ, in His body. Listen how how Paul uh, mentions this uh, in Colossians 1 and verse 2. He says, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's the first aspect of God's plan. He wanted you to be in Christ. That's the first thing. And then, very interesting, in the same chapter, Colossians 1 and verse 26, here's another facet of God's plan. He starts in verse 26, he says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now again, I just want to check if it's the same translation, do you see that there's another colon after Gentiles saying here follows the revelation of the mystery and here's the mystery. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How amazing is that? God wanted you in Christ and Christ in you. Wow. That's the mystery. That's the revelation that we need to understand. So... so. Um, as Adrian so rightly said it, that there's a destiny on, on your life. And God has placed you in a body. And if you're not in a local church, you should be. Because as I said, that's where you will enjoy God's favor. And where you will see growth happen in your life. So it's, 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 it's so important to realize that when it says here, Christ in you, the word is plural in English. It's not clear, but in the Greek it's clear. It it says it's Christ in you. All of you, corporately, you in Christ and Christ in you. And I've I've always made the statement, and I think if we can understand this, we will look at Jesus totally differently. God's ultimate purpose was not Jesus in the flesh, but Christ in the church. If we understand that, even Christmas will take on a new meaning for us. Because Jesus is no longer the baby in the manger. Jesus is no longer the Jews with, with sand, the Jew with sandals. Jesus is no longer the lonely finger, figure on the cross. He's no longer in the grave. Jesus right now is the head of the church, glorified, risen, uh, ascended Messiah. King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's who he is. And that's how we we need to see And so if we understand that we are in Christ and Christ is in us, then listen to this. You need to understand the only Jesus that some people will see is in you. The only Bible that some people will read is your life. The only hope that they will have is the Jesus in you. That's why he, he, Paul writes it this way. He says, God's revelation of the mystery is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want to put it this way. It's Christ in you, the hope of your community. It's Christ in you, the hope of your family. It's Christ in you. That's what this hopeless world is crying out for. Someone to show them who and what Jesus is. And Teresa of Avila uh, put it this way. She lived in the 16th century. Uh, She said, Yours are the only feet with which God can go about the world. Yours are the only eyes through which His compassion can shine forth in a troubled world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Wow. Wow. Now, I know we often pray prayers that are unscriptural. we sincere. And, and, and I have prayed this prayer until I discovered that I, it's, it's not in line with the Word. I've prayed for someone and I said, God, please save so-and-so. And I realized it's not scripture because God has done everything that He could do to save so-and-so. It's now up to us it's better to change that prayer and say, God, send a laborer across the path of so-and-so because you want to save him or her. And God, if I can be that laborer, here I am. Because we pray these, these unspiritual and, and unscriptural prayers. I'll, I'll never forget, I was at a minister's meeting once and, and we were breaking for lunch and they asked somebody to pray over the food And he blessed the food and then prayed this. And when he said this phrase, it kind of hit me like a hammer. And I thought, what? I prayed that so often. And he prayed and he said, and God, please think of the underprivileged. And I just realized, God's mind is on the underprivileged all the time. It's us who need to think of the underprivileged. We need to do something about the situation. God wants to use us. And so stop praying unscriptural prayers. It's like the little guy who was warned he shouldn't go through a, a particular camp on the farm because there was a, 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 a bull. And he thought, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make it. And they, he, halfway through, the bull came for him. And he shouted at his friend, he said, please do something religious." Pray for me. And he said, No, I warned you. He said, You pray yourself, and so the only religious prayer that he could remember is for what we are about to receive, make us <laughs> truly thankful. <laughs> and just just by the way, if you pray that kind of prayer over your food, make us thankful. Just be thankful. Don't ask God to make you thankful. We pray these silly prayers. So God has a secret plan and God has a corporate purpose for us as a body. But here's the third statement that I want to make and that is that God has an individual purpose for you. And when I say individual, because this body is made up of individual members, but as I said, our destiny is intertwined and so we don't have an independent purpose. We are interdependent, but God has a specific plan for you as an individual. And here's what the Scripture says about the ministry uh, and the destiny of all believers corporately and individually in in Ephesians 3, if I can go back to, to that book. And verse 9, Paul starts off here, and he says that God gave him the grace to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery. In other words, we can all be partners in this revelation which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent, the purpose, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God wants to further reveal his mystery to people out there. How is he going to do that? That's what the scripture says, by the church. By the church. So the church is God's instrument of revelation. He wants to show his wisdom to the rulers, whether in the spiritual or in the natural realm. Because I do believe the church has a role to play in society. we the prophetic voice. we the ones that, that God wants to use. Now, you might say, but I don't rub shoulders with, with politicians and with, with leaders. But God has a role for you. Because you might not change the world, but you can change your world. God gave you a sphere of influence where you can make a difference as an individual. And here's what I want to focus on. Look at that phrase in verse 10 there where he says, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Manifold wisdom, interesting word. And uh, interesting sounding word in, in Greek, polo uh, poikilos, very interesting word. Polu meaning much or, or many and poikilos meaning diverse, various, literally means of different colors. Isn't that amazing? So here's what he, how he describes the role of the church. That the church is much varied, multifaceted, immensely diverse, with numerous forms or features with, with, uh, of many kinds and of different colors. Now, the English word manifold, the only time I heard it before was in connection with a car's engine. And what I know about a car's engine is dangerous. But I actually asked a friend of mine who had a little bit more knowledge, and he said, it's a pipe or a chamber that actually um, uh, either that transports the the fuel or the fuel gases through uh, to the engine or from the, the engine. And the reason why it's called manifold is because it branches into many pipes. And here's what we need to understand. There's one church, but it has many members. And for God to show His manifold wisdom, you are one of the pipes. God wants His power to be brought to the world, and God wants to use you. And even if you do not, as I said, rub shoulders with, with uh, uh, leaders out in the world, there, you can make a difference in your world. You know what I've done? And this might sound so simple, but I have found when I put petrol in my car, if I can just greet the petrol attendant or attempt to greet him in his own language and just speak a few words to him and say to him, Modino, or and, 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 and just speak to him a, a, a blessing over his life. I've never had a negative response ever. In fact, I found that if you give a person dignity by speaking in their language, it opens up their heart. And I've always had the broadest smile and the the most pleasant response. You can make a difference by doing something so simple. Because God can use you to to make a difference in someone's life. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, it says, As each one, has received a gift. Minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Wow. So you have a facet of God's wisdom. You have a facet of God's grace. You have a unique combination of gifts and talents. You have a unique sphere of influence because you have a ministry. You have a pulpit. And your pulpit might be a counter, sales counter. But you have a calling and a destiny to make a difference in this world because you uh, uh, have been given, uh, let me put it this way, you're in God's cabinet and, and your portfolio is you are in the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to bring reconciliation in this world. I like Ephesians 4 and verse 7. He says, to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he speaks about about the fivefold ministry, uh, uh, and and he speaks in, in verse 12 about the work of the ministry that the saints are supposed to do. And here's something interesting, and again, if I can give you homework, if you go and study the book of Ephesians, you'll find this phrase, in Christ, appearing about 35 times. And, and every time it speaks of the privileges, the blessings that we have in Christ. But here's something, something interesting. There are also 35, more or less, directives of our responsibilities. You see, we need to enjoy the blessings and the privileges of being in Christ, but we need to realize our duties. And I think you so aptly spoke about that when you spoke about giving. Because here we receive all the benefits, but we need to also do our part. There's an old song that we used to sing um, that that said, um, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. There should be a second verse to that. Count your duties, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord wants done. God blessed you so that you can be a blessing. God has a plan for your life and He wants you to, to do something like that. You know, you know the, the, the saying of, of John F. Kennedy where he said, My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country that God is saying the same thing to the church. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what can you do for your church? That's the question we need to, we need to be faced with. Now, I, one of my favorite stories, and I, I read this um, in a book and was told about a Jewish wedding. It could have been anything else, but it, it, it was this wedding where they had about 200 guests and they sent out an invitation. They being jewish they said we can save some money so if you <laughs> when you c- when you come to the reception please bring your own bottle of wine and what we'll provide is a big vat and then we will empty all the bottles of wine into this one big vat so that we can feel that we've all contributed to the joy of this wedding and so they sent out this um, this card with an RSVP at the bottom. And, and, and by the way, you know RSVP is not a, a French abbreviation. It's actually Yiddish. It, it stands for Remember a Wedding Presence. <laughs> <laughs> so in any case, they, uh, the people received the invitation. One guy had a brilliant idea. He thought, well, you know, a wine bottle is made of dark glass. If I fill my bottle with water no one will know the difference. So when I quickly emptied into the vat, no one will will notice how diluted it is. What he didn't realize is that 199 other guests had the same brilliant idea. (laughs) And so (laughs) when they opened the tap of the vat, pure water came out. That's the miracle where the wine was turned into water. (laughs) But what I love about the story is this, that it actually speaks about the responsibility we have. And in a church like this, 400 people, it's so easy to bring just a bottle of water And you would think no one will know the difference. But God does. Because He knows what He invested in your life. And it's so important for you. Let me say this. Bring your bottle of wine to the party. (laughs) Amen. Because God has filled you with new wine. And He wants you to make your contribution to the church. I want to conclude and... um, And it's a long conclusion I love to conclude, usually. Uh, I conclude a few times in in every sermon. But I want to read something to you that I've often read through the years to so many students. And um, it's about, let me call him a nobody called Edward Kimball. And uh, I'm just going to read the facts because you'll see the chain reaction in this whole event. It says an unheard of nobody called Edward Kimball taught a Sunday school class. One of his students was a young fellow who worked at a shoe store. One day in 1855, Kimball visited this youngster at the shop where he was packing shoes away. And he led him to Christ in the back room. That young man was Dwight L. Moody, who went on to become one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. While he was visiting the British Isles in the 1870s, Moody preached in a little chapel in York whose pastor was a young man with the imposing name of Frederick Brotherton Meyer, F.B. Meyer. And Moody told an emotion-charged story about a Sunday school teacher he had known in Chicago who found out that he had very little time to live and who personally went to each pupil in his class and led every one of them to a saving faith in Christ. Maya was unmoved by the tale, but one of the teachers of the senior girls' class in his church was so impressed that she told it to her class of girls and she later reported to Maya that every one of the girls in her class gave a heart to the Lord. The teacher's report shook Maya to the toes and changed his entire ministry. He later testified that he owed everything to that moment where the first time he found what it meant to be brokenhearted about sin and how to point people to God. Meyer uh, visited the United States and, in a chapel talk at Furman University, he made this statement You never test the resources of God till you attempt the impossible. A discouraged young man who was about to drop out of school heard that remark, took new courage, and went on to get his degree. He later became one of the greatest orators of his time, Robert Green Lee, who had a mega church at that time of 24,000 people. At a prior occasion, Meyer was preaching in Moody's school and a confused young preacher was sitting in the back row and heard Meyer say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? The remark changed the entire ministry of the young preacher whose name was John Wilbur Chapman. Chapman began preaching with Moody and became one of the most effective evangelists of his time. In time, he turned over his ministry ministry to an advanced man who was setting up his crusades, and that uh, man was Billy Sunday, who learned to preach the gospel by hearing and watching chaplain. Billy Sunday captured the imagination of the entire America. In 1924, Billy Sunday conducted revival meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina, and out of those meetings came a group of laymen determined to form a permanent witness for Christ in their community. In 1932, that group arranged for a revival at Charlotte and brought in evangelist Mordecai Ham for citywide meetings. Under the ministry of this evangelist, more than 60,000 decisions were recorded in the state of Texas alone. One November evening in 1934, a tall 16-year-old boy sat in a huge crowd in the tabernacle in Charlotte. He was spellbound by the message of this white-haired evangelist who seemed to be talking and waving his long fingers straight at him. The teenager joined the choir where he thought he could escape, but it was no use. Finally, he could stand it no longer and went forward to receive Christ. As time passed, this young man felt called by God into the ministry. He went to an obscure Bible college in Florida, and uh, later transferred to Wheaton College, where he started his career in the Youth for Christ movement and went on to a worldwide evangelistic ministry. His name, Billy Graham. The man who has probably communicated Jesus Christ to more people than any other man in history. where did it start? With a nobody called Edward Kimball. And you might not be the next Billy Graham, but you can touch the life of the next Billy Graham. And I've often prayed and said, God, if I can say one thing that can change one life, it will be worth it. I want to read something else to you, and I, I found this. and it's an old article written in 1950 by a man called, "And again, a Nobody: Forrest: woodcraft." And uh, we don't know much about him. He was a Christian. He started out in the ministry, he became a professor. And uh, he was an executive of the Boy Scouts movement in America. And the article was written about boys, so I've, I've taken the liberty, the license to change it to child because I do believe it has a much broader effect. And here's what he wrote in the 1950s. He says, I'm not a very important man as importance is commonly rated. I don't have great wealth control a big business, or occupy a position of great honor or authority. Yet I may someday mold destiny. For it is within my power to become the most important man in the world in the life of a child. And every child is a potential atom bomb in human history. A humble citizen like myself might have been the scoutmaster of a troop in which an undersized, unhappy Austrian lad by the name of Adolf might have found a joyous boyhood full of the ideals of brotherhood, goodwill, and kindness, and the world would have been different. A humble citizen like myself might have been the organizer of a scout troop in which a Russian boy called Joe, referring to Joseph Stalin, might have learned the lessons of democratic cooperation, These men would never have known that they had averted world tragedy, yet actually they would have been the most important men who ever lived. All about me are children. They are the makers of history, the builders of tomorrow. If I can have some part in guiding them onto the high road of noble character and constructive citizenship, I may prove to be the most important man in their lives, the most important man in my community. And then he finishes with this, a hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, what sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove, but the world may be different because I was important in the life of a child. And I think it's so appropriate in this child education service this morning. I want to speak to the parents and the family of those children and say, you can be the most important person in shaping their lives and changing their destiny. So the secret, the mystery revealed is this. You in Christ, and Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of South Africa, the hope of your community, the hope of your family. That's what God wants you to do, is to bring hope in a hopeless world. Let's stand.